Welcome to The Family Room, sponsored by Versprite, where we offer hope, encouragement, truth, and wisdom for families, centered on biblical truth and Catholic teaching, because God's kingdom begins at home. Now welcome your hosts, Mari, John, and Craig, here on AM 1160 The Quest, your Atlanta Catholic Radio. Welcome into another week in the family room. This is Craig Wiesmeyer with my co-host, John Gordon. John, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Mari Cleveland, how are you? Hello, Craig. I'm great. I had to separate that so we're not stepping over each other, guys. (laughs) Uh, I think this is going to be one of our, what I'll say, more entertaining discussions today. If anybody knows Dr. Ray Garendi, they know he's obviously brilliant, but he also has an amazing sense of humor. And our topic is somewhat of a comical one because we're going to be talking about teenagers. And obviously, I've got some not-so-teenagers anymore. They just My son just became a, a non-teenager. You have teenagers, Mari, and we know what you're dealing with compared to what we may have been like as teenagers. And uh, Dr. Ray, through his book, uh, Standing Strong, Good Discipline Makes Great Teens, um, he's going to parse through all of that. But... Given what you've read, what do you all think about the whole discussion on teenagers to begin with? Um, so actually, my teenagers are no longer teenagers either. That's yeah, right. They, yeah, that's right. actually, and my <clears throat> younger one is turning 21 next week, so I will now have two adults, which is scary. Um, but when I think of the topic of teenagers, I actually am a little sad because I loved the teenagers. My kids, we had a lot of fun, and that's, of course, my um, my memory, even though yesterday my daughter said to me, wow. Like a year or two ago, I was so mean, and you were so mean, too. <laughs> so, <laughs> so apparently I have selective memory about what the teenage years were like. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> but at least she and I can laugh about it now, so that's good. <laughs> that's good. That's good. I think teenagers are awesome. Yeah. And I think teenagers are awesome. <laughs> but um, the well, teenagers, I think, Barb and I did youth group for a long, long time. We could never do it now. Just we're old, right? We're out of touch in that regard. But... Um, Teenagers, I felt, taught us not to take ourselves too seriously. That was because sometimes they take themselves way too seriously. You got to help them out. And sometimes others are like, dude, chill. What's the deal? Right. This is not a big thing. And I know that Dr. Ray will have some pretty cool insights just because just from his own family, let alone his profession. Right. So I'm kind of anxious to hear that. Yeah. Well, I think teenagers have changed how we look at them. Mm -hmm. And what I like about his book, too, is it helps us understand you know, not pigeonholing. There is hope because a lot of times we've lost hope in what our teenagers look like because of the current culture. So without further ado, though, John, do you mind bringing us in in prayer? And then we'll intro Dr. Ray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to be here together with uh, Craig and Maury, with our listeners. Thank you for the guests that we have, Dr. Ray Garendi, and for all the amazing work that you accomplished through him. We just ask you to open our minds and soften our hearts and make us ready and willing to hear the wisdom that you would share in in this time together. We know that you have created us and it was part of your plan that we should we should grow and as parents we should teach our children to go as the to go the way they should. And and we trust in your wisdom and we trust in the work of your Holy Spirit and we ask you to pour that out now in this time together. In 
And we ask all this in Jesus' name through the intercession of the Blessed Amen. Virgin. Amen. 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 The Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, as you heard, listeners, we are so thankful here on The Family Room because we have Dr. Ray Grandy with us today. Um, if you are a regular Quest listener, you get know you get your dose of Dr. Ray every day at 1 p.m., and it's one I would recommend you not miss um, because he is so full of wisdom but also great humor and to your point, you just said, John, he keeps it real, right? Yep. Just like teenagers keep it real. If you don't already know, Dr. Ray is obviously Catholic. He's a father of 10, grandfather of six. He is a clinical psychologist, author, professional speaker, and host of both radio and television. And as I said, his radio show, The Doctor is In, is heard here on The Quest every weekday at 1 p.m. And I'll over... 440 other stations as well as Sirius XM um, and he also has an EWTN television series Living Right with Dr. Ray which has aired in 140 countries which is awesome That's to amazing. know that there's that kind of wisdom being shared around family issues and parenting issues around the world and he's given over 3,000 talks Dr. Ray welcome into the family room we are so glad you're here with us Mari, that list of stuff that you just read doesn't mean competence. It means old. It means old. You just hang around long enough, you accumulate stuff for your bio. Well, could I ask a kind of maybe in that spirit, a 3,000 talks, 10 teenagers, I'm trying to do the math. Was that three talks a thousand times? Like... Because to the teenagers, was it 30 talks 100 times? How did, how did that all work together? And you don't have to answer John, that. Professional speakers will tell you it is easier to change audiences than it is to change talks. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. I was thinking teenagers. <clears throat> but 3,000 audiences? That's 3,000 audiences. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. I, I still take that. And yeah. well, whether that makes you old or wise, we're going with it. We're going with wise. Well, I give Given my age, guys, that's only five talks a year. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So considering we're we're in the older category too, I can't even imagine where the rest of this is gonna go. But we're gonna we're gonna dive in. Um, and, and again, welcome fellow Northeastern Ohioan. So as Dr. Ray is from the Akron Canton area, so and being from Cleveland, I have similar brain damage. But <laughs> Why don't you bring us up to speed a little bit uh, for people that don't maybe know your story on your faith walk growing up in Canton. Can you bring us uh, up to speed on how your faith walk looked growing up? I went to St. Anthony Parish in Canton, Ohio, where all the Italians went. It was law. You had to go there if you were Italian. <laughs> My father went to McKinley High School with a classmate of Rita Rizzo, Mother Angelica. And I heard about Mother Angelica before she even founded EWTN, back in the 60s, my mom brought me to a woman's house. The woman's name was Rhoda Wise. Now, if you're familiar with that story, mother had serious, serious digestive problems as a young girl. We're not talking my belly hurts. We're talking <laughs> life-threatening stuff. Yep. So she went to Rhoda, who supposedly had seen our Lord and St. Teresa, and she sat in the chair that our Lord supposedly sat in. And Rhoda said, you need to make a novena. Mother was cured of this very serious life-debilitating illness. She was cured. And she devoted her life to Christ. And she went to the Santa Clara Monastery in Canton, Ohio, where um, it's not three miles from my house, where my wife goes to church a lot now. 
Uh, there's a lot of pictures, I think, of mother there. There's not a single one of me there. And I've, I've been talking to them about that. You know, I've mentioned it for the last maybe 24 years. I, no no movement yet. But I'm, I'm still trying. So, it, so in fact, uh, I was familiar with mother before she was even mother. Uh, it, well, she was mother, but she hadn't found an EWTN yet. That's so cool. Any walks away from the faith? Any... Uh, you know, challenges growing up. I mean, you tell you trying to tell me you're Saint Ray, and that's why you need your picture up in 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 the monastery. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> and you're humble. Thank fact, you. Yeah, thank you. I, I was hoping you'd notice that. As a matter of fact, I was a new atheist. See, the old atheists make sense. The old atheists say there's no God, therefore I can pretty much do what I want. Mm. That's the old atheist. Mm -hmm. Now, if the premise is correct, in fact, if there is no God, then you can pretty much do what you want morally as long as you don't get caught and it's not illegal. I was a new atheist. See, the new atheists are all over the place. They are in our pews. They are everywhere. The new atheist says there is a God, but he thinks just like me. Mm. Mm. And that's what I was drifted into. I figured, hey, God's God, Jesus is Jesus. Let me find a place where I'm comfortable. Let me find a place where, you know, there's a lot of life. I went to an evangelical church, and, you know, they got a lot of lively things going on there. And for several years, I was in the Protestant evangelical world. Uh, I had been in three Bible studies a week. I had a prison ministry. I mean, I was diving into this stuff. And then, and then the trouble started. I was educated at, you remember Case Tech there, don't you, Craig? In oh, yeah. England? Case yep. Institute? That's where I went to school. Okay. And I was educated as an engineer. And when you're an engineer, you got certain accurate formulas. I can't say to fellow engineers, well, you have your formulas and I have my formulas. Mm. And, and I think we have to agree to disagree. Because one of us has the wrong formulas and the bridge is going to fall down. <laughs> Well, when I was in the evangelical world, I got so confused. I mean, I, I don't say I left Christianity, but it was as close as I came to not knowing what this Christian thing was all about. I didn't know. Uh, do we baptize babies? Do we not baptize babies? You Catholic think that white wafer is the God of the universe? What are you talking about? Where I was at the memorial mail. You don't pray for my grandma. She's dead. Oh, okay, what's the thing about the Blessed Virgin? Come on, Jesus had brothers and sisters. I mean, I was all over the map, and I couldn't live like that. I remember one, one morning I was in the kitchen, and I was on the verge of tears. Now, gentlemen, Craig, John, I'm going to give you a little marital secret in front of Mari there. This, <laughs> Mari, just, this, just close your ears. Okay, okay. This they're close. I'm talking. <laughs> if your wife accuses you of not being emotional enough when you need to be sensitive, simply pull three or four nose hairs. <laughs> and when, you, when you pull them, your eyes start to water. Okay, it does. You, now, you're not getting blubberies. That's really kind of fake. But the little, little rim of tears, and it looks like you're sensitive. Okay. Appreciate so, it. So I did that. I said to my wife, I said, honey, I don't even know what Christianity is. I mean, where we were, you could get divorced. They said, God hates divorce, but hey, you can get divorced. We'll remarry you. Where we were, they were pro-life, but the church that I had gone to earlier was not pro-life. Hmm. Where we were, you, you couldn't lose your salvation. But the other church I went to, you could lose your salvation. I would, oh, I thought, what is Christianity? 
So I dove into it. I said, okay, let's look at history, which is what a lot of converts do. They dive into history. You can't dive into history with an open mind and come away thinking the early church was not Catholic. Mm. You, you can't. Right. It's, it's, it's that simple. And so I did, and I looked into it, and there was a lot of irrationalities in the Protestant world. I'll just give you one quick one that messed me up. You know that Scripture was pretty much established in the latter part of the 4th century. Yeah. They had to say, okay, what books are in our Bible? Now, if you don't have the Holy Spirit guiding you at that time, and where I was, they said, well, you know, the Catholic Church had already apostated, the Catholic Church had already lost it. And I said, well, then, okay, logically speaking, how can this Bible be put together by a bunch of apostates? Mm. And the answer they gave was it wasn't, it wasn't the apostates. It was the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit could use your microphone to put the Bible together. Okay, fine. Here's the logic problem. Back then, they established 27 books in the New Testament through the Holy Spirit's guidance. Protestants agree with that. Absolutely. The Holy Spirit got it right. 27 books in the New Testament. However, at the same time back then, the Catholic Church had 46 books plus in the Old Testament. The Protestants don't agree with that. They have 39. So here's your logic problem. I guess you have to say the Holy Spirit got it right, partly. He got the New Testament right. He did not get the Old Testament right. And he didn't get it right until 1,100 years later when Martin Luther, through the supposed Holy Spirit, corrected it. Now, you can believe that if you want, but that just seems to me a real logic problem. Yep. Mm-hmm. If you're going to count on the Holy Spirit to put your Bible together, but then you're going to say, he only got part of it. So... That's just one thing for me struggling. So slowly came back to the church and interesting. I was in secular media for years. I did Oprah and Jenny Jones. I did all those shows. And I found it was pretty much a dead end. And my dream was to have my own show. Never happened. Never happened. The Oprah producers would come to me and say, Ray, we really want to have you back. You need your own show, etc." Never happened. So I thought, well, that's it. Then I got approached by EWTN, by Catholic Radio, and a dream came true. So I got to be with you guys. And just think, if that wouldn't have happened, right now you'd be sitting there wondering, who are we talking to? There's nobody there. Well, I'm waiting waiting for the rapture. You'll disappear, and we'll be still staring at an empty mic. I also majored in philosophy. That's why I think those stupid kinds of things. Engineering and philosophy. Okay, that explains a whole lot. That's awesome. And I'd like to explain that all of this is happening in the family room with Dr. Ray Garendi. Thanks for being with us. Dr. Ray, clearly your experience is broad, but I want to dial in just for a second because you're the father of 10, which is sort of counterculture in in what we live in today. People people would ask the question, I think, 10 kids, you must be Catholic, right? And then you're a Catholic psychologist. So there's just everything that kind of is important about your identity is sort of counterculture. And adoptive kids, by the way. Right, right, right. right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so exactly. So it's like this is an intentional move on your part on both of these fronts, clearly well thought out. Cancellation-like material. John, I'm not as countercultural as you think. First of all, I am a secular psychologist. 
but I respect people's Catholic worldview, uh. and I can work within that Catholic worldview. But many of my clients, matter of fact, probably the majority before I got back to Catholic media was a secular world. So I had to deal with them from the perspective of where they were regarding their own life struggles. And makes, I still get a lot of those. Makes sense. The second thing is those 10 kids are adopted. And I have three whites, two Hispanic, two biracial, three black, which was really a problem when we went to a grocery store because people would look at me like, that major dork don't realize them ain't all his kids. And I'd say, I suspect her, but I can't catch her. So, so, so given that, I got away with it. People didn't look at me like, well, you know, come on, you're sucking up the rainforest. You know, you got more than you're allowed 1.92 children. But they saw that these kids were obviously adopted. Either that or my wife was out of my sight too much. So given that, nobody really said much Ah. about that, John. So I got away with it. Good call. Interesting. Interesting. So you realize I paid no taxes for years? I can't touch that. 10 tax deductions? Are you kidding me? (laughs) 10 tax (laughs) deductions. And we know that wasn't your reason for adopting. (laughs) Um, Not the first one. (laughs) (laughs) so so as craig mentioned at the beginning we um would love to talk to you about your new book standing strong good discipline makes great teens you've written 12 books i believe um on mary 18 eight mari come on oh my gosh i'm behind 18 books you've written 18 books um on topics relating to marriage family parenting so why this book, and what makes this book even more relevant today than ever before? Parents struggle the most with discipline questions regarding teenagers and adolescents. Mm. I agree when you guys were talking early on, I don't know if we were on the air at the time, but you talked about something I totally am in line with you with. The caricature of a teenager is awful. Oh, they're surly, they're moody, they're unpleasant, they're back-talky, they just push on parents, they hate parents, they don't like parents. I agree with you. I think teens are fun, they're zestful, they got a lot of life. Here's the problem. The average teen is not that way because of development. In other words, okay, I turn 13 or 12 or 11 and my hormones kick in and all of a sudden I turn into this demon seed. No, the average teen is that way because of the culture. Mm -hmm. The culture says, here, kid, have this, do this. Here's what you should chase. And mom and dad are trying to stand in the way to keep the kid from heading down these paths and the kid gets resentful. I don't know. Your studio is sitting probably where 100 years ago there was a farm. Is that safe to say? Yes. yes. Probably a farm yes. on that land? Yep. Mm-hmm. Do you think that farmer said to his buddy, you know, my boy's a teenager now. I'm not going to get any help out of him. He's, uh, he's one of them teenagers. They're so uncooperative. I guess I'll just have to wait till he's 20 or 21 <laughs> that he likes me again. No, that farmer was ecstatic that he had a 14-year-old boy who was virtually indefatigable and could help around the farm. So it's cultural. Our culture pushes on parents. I'll give you a small example, guys. Worst thing a parent can do. Worst thing. Give them a cell phone too early. Give mm-hmm. them a cell phone too early. Yeah. Average kid gets one nine to ten years of age. Mm-hmm. So if you hold out to age 13, you're in the bottom 5%. That's still way too early. But what happens is, do you realize the strength a parent has to have? 
to hold out like that mm-hmm. against yeah. this culture, <laughs> against not only not only the experts who say, you know, your children are going to rebel. Mm-hmm. They're going to feel out of sync with their peers, and they're going to resent you, and they're going to get sneaky, and they're going to go behind your back. And you know what? They're going to stop going to church when they're 19 because they're going to puke up religion because you made them go to church. That's the kind of stuff parents now have to push against. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, thank you to your psychology brethren that are the ones that brought that to the forefront. That's very true. That is very true. The shrinks have scared the bejeebers out of parents. That whole much of my book deals with that, mm-hmm. which is you can't parent. You can't parent scared. Yeah. You can't say that if I make this decision that is countercultural, my kids are going to have all kinds of psychological issues. My kids are going to hate me. My kids are going to get sneaky. My kids are going to get resentful. All of this is going to happen because I wasn't psychologically correct. You can't parent like that. Give them the keys to the car and move out. Right. And they and they even scare us more because in, in addition to those things, which I, I do sometimes think, am I parenting out of fear right now when I say something or make a decision? They're, they've also added to that mix. They're going to commit suicide if you don't do this. I mean, they, they've exactly ramped it to such an right. extreme yeah. level. Yeah. If you do not, let's take the extreme. If you do not totally acquiesce to a child's gender confusion, mm-hmm. you are told by the experts and the intelligentsia and even the medical community, you are told you are risking that child committing suicide. Yeah. Therefore, you have to go against everything you believe. You have to go against your gut instincts. You have to go against your love for that child and the confusion right now that that child is in, many of whom 90-some percent pull out of it mm-hmm. if left to their own devices, yeah. that you you cause this kind of awful outcome. Yeah. So a little twist, if you don't mind, Dr. Ray, on that, because I know we want to talk about teenagers, but in this process of us growing up, and I'm going to throw the ball into your, sorry, Mari, we don't mean to keep cutting you out, but John's, yours, and my court. Um, (laughs) I think too many of us men, number one, are stuck in our teenage years. We haven't grown up. And I guess a side question potentially to you is, why haven't men stepped in to take that role and be and look I failed. I, I mean I'll be my I'll raise my hand based on things you brought up in your book. But why haven't we been man enough to stand up and, and love our kids enough to say, No, you're not gonna do that or, you know, I'm not giving you everything you want, even though I can, I've got the resources, you're gonna have to go out and work for it. Why is that? Several ingredients, Craig, to all of this. Well, first of all, God's getting the boot. So that's a big one. Mm-hmm. You boot God out of the culture. Just saw a recent statistic to talk about young men. In a survey, 46% of kids ages 18 to 29 called themselves atheists or agnostics. Wow. Half. All right, so there's the first step. You already got guys that are not embracing a godly role. That's one. Another We make it very easy for guys to misuse women with the quote-unquote sexual revolution supposedly freeing everybody. What it did is it freed the guys Mm -hmm. to basically use and misuse women and move on. That's two. Three, I had a mother tell me once, she said, parents, please, please, please don't let your 14-year-old son play video games endlessly because he'll grow up in all likelihood to be a 28-year-old young father who plays video games endlessly. She said that. So 
So what is happening is the temptation and the stimulation of staying 14 is still there. Yeah. It's always there. The other thing is, you know, you've got to have an incredible guts to stand against the culture. You really do. Mm-hmm. I've always said this, gentlemen. If my men, if my children go astray, I want it to be because they had to go straight through me as their father, mm. not because I stepped aside. Mm. Great point. Yeah. I couldn't live with myself if I stepped aside. You had to go through me. I can live with myself. Well, wow. now thank you for that's, that. That's that's amazing. That's that's yeah. awesome perspective. Um, sometimes I listen uh, to your uh, to your show, and and I'm um, sometimes. Wait, wait, wait. I think this is why you're struggling with your intellect. <laughs> Here's what I'm struggling with. I'm struggling with the clock. Um, we've got about two minutes left. And, and so maybe it carries into the next. But sometimes I hear the questions that you get asked. And, in, and I'm not a professional. And I cringe. I'm like, ooh, this is going to be ugly. Because you are very direct and, yeah. and, and accurate, in my opinion, in your responses. But maybe just like, what are some of the crazy questions or some of the things that surprise you most about the questions you hear from parents or from teenagers? How much parents don't allow themselves to be parents. Mm. Mm. How much they second guess themselves, how much they feel guilty, how much they're not sure of themselves, how much they don't stand strong, how much they are worried about this whole parenting thing. My parents never worried about that. My grandparents certainly didn't worry about that. They weren't sophisticated. They weren't psychologically enlightened. But they knew that they were the parents and they had to make these decisions in love. Mm. You know, I look back at my own parenting. A guy asked me one time, he said, do you have any regrets? your parenting i said no and he said what how could you not have regrets what kind of arrogant thing is that i said wait a minute if you're calling regrets that i made moves deliberately Ah. to do things wrongly you're right i would have regrets i said whatever mistakes i made whatever things i could have done better i didn't do on purpose yeah you know i was doing what i thought was my best judgment at the time i'm not god yeah. And even God couldn't get most people to follow him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I love the fact that you brought up that word love. And what does that mean? Because I think love, even just that word seems to have shifted about what parents think. One of your quotes that I love is you say, the better your authority, the less you have to discipline. You've tied that word authority to love. You heard the phrase, Mari, tough love, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not tough love. It's love. Yeah. You see what we've done? Very subtle twist of the phrase there, that when you have to discipline somehow, that's not love, that's tough love. No, it isn't. It's love. I'm disciplining you so the world doesn't have to. Parents who have authority, that the kids know what's expected and the parents will will enforce it, they don't have to do it very often. When you don't have authority, you become a lunatic. You nag, you repeat, you remind, you debate, you chastise. You, you go to confession, bless me, Father. When I was young and didn't have children, I was pretty nice. Now I'm not pretty or nice. <laughs> and right there is a great way. <laughs> Listen, we will be back in just a few minutes with more of Dr. Ray Garindi. Stay tuned to us here in the family room. <laughs> we'll be right back in the family room, sponsored by Versprite, right after this. 
In today's world, cybersecurity is critical for your business. Award-winning Versprite provides solutions to protect your company from hackers. For protection now, see Versprite.com. That's V-E-R-Sprite.com. The Quest thanks Versprite for their support. The Quest presents Pro-Life Minutes. You're pregnant? What are you going to do? This response puts abortion on the table. Although what are you going to do is a common response, this is not what you say when your friend tells you about her unplanned pregnancy. Women are created to nurture life. No woman truly wants to kill her own child. Unplanned pregnancies can be scary. 74% of women who've had abortions say that if one person would have offered support to help them, they would have chosen life. This approach, congratulations, you'll be a great mother and I'll help you, can be just what she needed to hear. God sent you to help her. Call 1-800-712-HELP to find the closest free pregnancy center. Let's show the world that every life matters by speaking up for life at every opportunity. For more homegrown wisdom, visit thequestatlanta.com. This is Father Kevin Peek a priest of the Archdiocese of Atlanta, and this is my favorite prayer, the breastplate of St. Patrick. Let us pray. Christ be with me, Christ within me, Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me, Christ to comfort and restore me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in quiet, Christ in danger, Christ in hearts of all that love me, Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. Amen. This is Father Larry Richards of Open Line Thursday. I just want to talk to you about the importance of Catholic Radio. Catholic Radio is an instrument of salvation. People hear about Jesus Christ through Catholic Radio and they get to live forever. But we need you to help us. Please pray for us so that we can continue this work. This is your home and we're always here for you. Thanks to our friends at EWTN, our programming is provided free of charge. But this station has other expenses that must be paid to keep the doors open and the lights on. Support of your local Catholic radio station helps keep shows like EWTN open line available in your area. No matter the amount, your gift works to make a difference for you, for others, and for the future of our Catholic radio family. Please prayerfully consider making a gift right now. To donate, log on to thequestatlanta.com. Hey, this is Father Eric Hill from the Catholic Church of the Transfiguration in Marietta, Georgia. And you're listening to AM 1160, The Quest, your Atlanta Catholic radio. Welcome back to The Family Room with Mari, John, and Craig, sponsored by Verse Sprite on AM 1160, The Quest. Welcome back to the family room, everybody. We are here with Dr. Ray Garendi talking about teenagers. But Dr. Ray, before we go back into the content officially, one of our traditions in the family room is to ask all of our guests to share their favorite family room memory. What do you want to share with our listeners? At what point the kids were 12, 11, 10, 10, 9, 7, 4, 3, 2, and baby. <laughs> that is when we began to go to Myrtle Beach in the fall because my wife homeschooled. And she was nervous about homeschooling. And I said, honey, just, just stay one week ahead in the answer book. That's all you got to do. We go to Myrtle Beach. And we traipsed down there. It's a 12-hour drive from here. And we would sleep in a hotel, all 12 of us, in one room. A couple slept in the bathtub. couple on the floor. A couple got to bed, you know. 
and we would spend a week at Myrtle Beach, and that's the way it was, and we did that for many, many years until finally they started splitting off and saying, okay, I can't go on in school because of this and that. So as I would say, as a clump, those were our best memories. Awesome. That's awesome. awesome. That's good. I'm trying to envision that, by the way. That's pretty cool. That is fun. As we come back in, into the uh, second part of this discussion, let's really try to dive into your book a little bit more. And if you would, do you have a topic in your book that particularly motivates you, excites you, that you want to address you know, in regard to parenting teens? And uh, if you could choose one piece of advice out of that, what might it be? I ask my clients, do you want to raise a typical teen or do you want a one in a hundred kid? Every single one of them says, I want a one in a hundred kid. Mm -hmm. Then you have to be a one in a hundred parent. You have to supervise more than most do you have to give freedom later, socially and technologically. You oftentimes have to stand alone or unless you're fortunate enough to be surrounded by a like-minded little group of parents, that's fine. But you are going to recognize that if you want to raise kids who seek God, then you are now going to be different than the dominant culture and you have to have the strength in your spine to do that. Now, they'll say to me, well, wait a minute. My kid's going to see that we're weird. My kid is going to say, how can all those people be wrong and you be right? And I tell dads especially, when you put those standards way above the crowds and your kid's going to notice it, he, he's not going to say, oh, gosh, dad, thank you for being so much more vigilant <laughs> in what I do. No, he's going to notice it. And I tell the dad, you just really better be affectionate day in and day out you better let that kid know hugs kisses i love yous that kind of warmth has to pour from you and i don't care that it's not your style i don't care that it's not your personality nobody's got a gun to your head and says you can't do that do it because the higher your standards the more affectionate you got to be Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like that. That's yeah. really good advice. That is great. It's almost like the love language concept. You got to yeah. you got to fill that kid's love tank because you're you're holding them pretty accountable. Yeah. Yeah. I'll Actually, give you a quick story. Yeah. Quick story. Yes. My son was 17. He played basketball. I'd sit in the bleachers about four rows back before the game. As soon as there was a break and the guys kind of getting prepared for the game, I went down on the gym floor, grabbed my son, hugged him, kissed him. And then, being a psychologist, you have to be very affirming. I said, Petey, try not to stink to join out. <laughs> so he would laugh, and I would laugh. And you could see the looks on these parents behind me in the bleachers. This guy is breaking every teenage rule that exists. You don't touch your kids in public. You don't hug your kids in public. What are you doing? And I said to Petey, I said, hey, Petey, did that bother you? He goes, would it make any difference, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> And he told me later, gentlemen, he said he had some of his buddies come up to him and say, I wish my dad would do that. Mm. I believe it. Mm. Don't let the teen dictate your level of affection. They don't set the rules on affection. I as dad do. That's mm. great. You know, one of my favorite pictures, and I use it when I give retreats, is my son in his basketball uniform. He's about 14 years old. 
and he's literally melted into my husband. It was a bad game, and and there, it, this is in our living in our family room, and my husband's in a chair, and my son is in his lap, so squished into him that he's literally melted into him. Mm. And it's one of my favorite pictures. And our son's love language is touch. I know that, but it also, to your point, Doctor Ray, just that affection between father and son, so critical. And teens notice; they notice the difference. You know, you were saying that, you know, don't be worried about what your teens are saying. So that same young man, he got to be about 18, 19, and he and I are driving down the road one day, and he says to me, oh my gosh, so-and-so has terrible parents, and I'm waiting for some terrible story of, of a kid being abused. I was like, really? What are you talking about? He goes, they don't discipline him at all. They need to be stronger. They need to <laughs> discipline him more. And I thought, yay. <laughs> he understands what happens if you don't, you know, if you don't offer love, you know, in that form of, of discipline. So it was pretty funny. Um, Dr. Ray's book is called Standing Strong. Good Discipline Makes Great Teens. And you can get it anywhere you can get books. You can get it through Sophia. You can get it on Amazon. You will have links to his book in the show notes as well. You've got some suggestions for parents on how they could better enjoy their kids during their teen years. At the beginning, we were talking about we enjoyed them, but not everybody has that same mindset that that teens are there to be enjoyed. What are some of the suggestions that that you, you would offer parents so that they can better enjoy their kids during the teen years? I have a whole chapter on respect. Mm. Respect in the teen years is something that it can get greatly out of control. The kids can roll eyes at you. They can have puppy sides. Oh, whatever, mom. That's lame, <laughs> ridiculous. And that happens a lot, and it colors the whole relationship. Yeah. It's very hard to have a nice relationship with somebody when they're disappointed or upset, and they can get disrespectful. That breeds disrespect in us. Yes. So I have a whole chapter talking about how not to allow any of that because it will automatically improve the relationship. I remember one time I came home and my wife was upset. Now, gentlemen, I, I really don't mean to intimidate you because I'm a highly trained professional. So <clears throat> I don't expect you to be able to read subtle cues like I can read them because I'm, I'm trained. <laughs> I came home and my wife had one of our daughters and my wife was saying, I do not like her, Ray. I am. I do not like her anywhere. I do not like her here or there. And I thought, I said, honey, are you upset? I picked up on that. I picked up on that. Genius. She said, it, I am. And, and she said, it's Sarah. And Sarah was 13. She said, I gave her two hours worth of labor. Two hours worth of labor. Now, in our house, labor was, and I always tell this to teenage moms, moms of teens, look, you got able bodies there. Yeah. You want a good consequence? Okay, half an hour worth of labor, hour worth of labor. They have to do what you assign them to do to get their privileges back. So my wife said I gave Sarah two hours worth of labor. Why is that, honey? She rolled her eyes at me. Two hours worth of labor for rolling your eyes at your mother? Is that because rolling your eyes is so terrible? No, it's because your mother is so valuable. You don't do that. I guarantee you guys, we start this interview. Now, you can see me on Zoom. We start this interview, and you ask me a question. And one of the first things I do is, yeah, yeah, right, Marty. Mm -hmm. I guarantee you, you say, we'll never ask that guy back again. <laughs> no matter what I said after that, you say, I'd never ask that guy back again. Why? Because that's incredibly disrespectful. And if we allow our teens to do this, 
it's really hard to like them. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Now that explains that disconnect between I enjoyed my kids and I didn't, even though they rolled their eyes. Why is it so important? I think you used the quote, how a child treats a mother or a father ultimately becomes the adult way that they treat others. I think that's a direct quote. I, I think so. I mean, unless it was from your wife, but um, <laughs> why is it really important to understand that? And what, is, what does that look like down the road? It sets the tone, Craig. It sets the pace. It says, I can treat people I supposedly love like this. Mm. A habit. It's a pattern. Now, you can say, well, you know, when they're 24, they're going to mature out of it. Maybe. Maybe not. I've often said this to folks when they, when they have a very, very obnoxious teenager, and this has been going on for years. I say, well, maybe with maturity, this is a person who would become a little more responsible, a little more respectful. And they probably won't be in trouble with the law or be on drugs. But I wouldn't want to be married to them. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to figure out where the heck you were 33 years ago when I got married because you would have saved me a lot of problems, pal. I was in kindergarten, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but for how many times? Is it your third or fourth time? Well, okay, just this is a little bit of an aside. We had our, our 50th kindergarten reunion a while back. <laughs> I didn't go because I've gained like 150 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you go? John, where do we go from now? Oh, my, uh, so I'm going back to the one of the things that I said earlier. I do listen to your show, and I do cringe sometimes because it's very obvious in the conversations that the parent is the problem, yeah. not the child, right? And, and I think even our own personal lives, and I also think professionally, when somebody knows how to push your buttons, the game is much more difficult. So talk about some of the things as a parent that we can do to kind of re- retain composure when, you know, there's days you love your child and then there's the days you just love to mop the floor with your child. <laughs> and, and how do we opt to keep the former in place when we really want to do the latter? Here are some of the most common reasons why parents erupt in frustration. One, they future project. Oh, my you see what he did? He came home and he completely lied about what happened at school. What does this mean for when he's 21? Okay, that they future project. I always tell him, handle the problem now. Don't speculate for 12 years from now. That's one. Two, this is a reflection on me. I'm an awful and terrible parent. This shouldn't have happened. I can't believe my son did this. The cops brought him to my door. Well, it's not necessarily a reflection on you. I mean, yeah, you're involved because you're the parent, but each kid's wired different. Some kids are God's, God's gift to raise easy, and others are tougher. That's just the way it is. Okay, so you don't always just view it as, this is a direct reflection on me, and you get frustrated. Three, you take it personally. He's doing this just to make my life miserable. No, he isn't. He's doing it because he wants to do what he wants to do, and you're in the way. That's why. Mm-hmm. Four, you wait too long to discipline. Mm-hmm. I asked a group of parents one time, uh, when do you discipline? The most common answer, when I've had enough. (laughs) No, 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 wait, wait, wait. No, you discipline because it's wrong, not because your emotions have pushed you into it. That's that's that. Another one, parents confuse mouth with discipline. Mouth is not discipline. I told you, leave your sister alone. Now, I am not going to tell you again. That's not discipline. That's mouth. If you're not going to do something about it, shut 
block your mouth because the mouth just has a tendency to get loud and nasty is what happens. The biggest confusion parents make, they'll come into my office. I'm on him all the time. I just am on him all the time and he's not getting any better. And then I find out what they mean by I'm on him all the time. Yeah, they're yapping at him. They're nagging him. They're debating with him. They're re, 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 reminding him. Yeah, you are on him all the time, but you're not disciplining. You're just using your mouth to get louder and longer to try to get cooperation. And that's not going to happen. The average kid, after being reasoned with 27 times, is not going to go, oh, father, I've been so blind. Of course. I see what you're saying. That's why you're the grown-up. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <clears throat> Well, we did, we're talking about a book, but you can tell the doctor is definitely <laughs> the in, right? In. It, the doctor is in. <laughs> That's awesome. And you're you're in the family room uh, with Dr. Ray Garendi. We're talking about a lot of things, but all stemming from his book, Standing Strong, uh, Good Discipline Makes Great Teens. And if you like what you're hearing now, there's all kinds of this on the Quest uh, weekdays at 1 o'clock. So there's more where this came from <laughs> or where this is coming from. Um, but do, I, I just, one comment, just thank you for the clarity. Um, and in our work, we call that unfiltered. There's, there's no baloney, fluffy fluff. This is kind of how it is. And thank you for that clarity because in this whole world of parenting, especially now, um, that's so important to just say, look, here we are, here's where we got to go. Any questions, right? So thank you for, for the clarity and the honesty. Yeah. If I could jump in with kind of a side note here before mm -hmm. I'm looking at the clock. We're still okay, but we got – how far are you guys from Birmingham? About two and a half hours. Yeah. Okay. Living Right with Dr. Ray, the television show, is coming to Birmingham. Oh. We're going to film it at the EWTN studios. Normally, we film it around the country. We're going to film it at the EWTN studios on January 17th, which is a Wednesday. Four tape shows. If they go to EWTN.com – and forward slash Dr. Ray Live, D-R Ray Live, they can sign up to be there in the audience at oh. EWTN Studios for the shows. Awesome. Had no idea. Thank you. Yeah, that would be great. Without the audience, I believe the show doesn't go. So it's that important to have a lot of folks there. We'll also put it in our show notes for this show as well so people have that link. Well, yeah, Mario, be great. I wanted to say this. A couple people have written me from the Quest suggesting that I try to get you there. <laughs> because of my, my need for better parenting skills. Well, I didn't want to say anything. They, they also know her daughter goes to school, actually, in Birmingham, and her daughter needs a free meal, so she was the one who wrote oh, you. Oh, there you go. That was it. I, like, I'm coming off, off uh, random thought, though, because as somebody who is, par my, 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 as we said, my son just turned 20, so he's not in the teen years. We have listeners that have kids that are probably in later teens or whatever and haven't done any of this stuff. Is there a way to hit a reset button and begin to do what you're talking about? Because as a kid, it might find like very contrived or it might be like, who the heck is this person? And don't listen to that Dr. Ray guy anymore because now it's miserable. Can you actually hit a reset button and do the things you're saying? It depends. Isn't, isn't, that, isn't that a shrink's answer? It depends. <laughs> yes and no. Um, if, if the kid is living at home and they're 20, 22, 24, and they're uncooperative, they're disrespectful, they are drifting, they simply are not wanting to grow up, and along with that, they're not pleasant to live with. 
the parents have to make a decision, and this is where they're most afraid. Parents have to decide, am I going to let him live here under his conditions or under mine? Now, you, you can't look back and say, oh, boy, oh, boy, I screwed it up. So, therefore, I'm going to let him live here till he's 31 to make mm-hmm. up for it. That doesn't work because ultimately the relationship fractures. Mm-hmm. It breaks. Mm-hmm. The kid at age 25 is so difficult to live with. The parents go, I don't care if he's on the street. I can't live with him anymore. So I tell parents, you've got to make that decision. That's the first thing. Second thing is if you set the conditions and the child cooperates, in other words, there's no disrespect, you have to be gainfully employed, you, you can't do the kinds of uh, things that you want to do if you were 14. You can't do that. Okay? These are the new terms. The child accepts them. Great. Raise the rent. I always tell parents that. Raise the rent. Okay? He's living there. He's acting like this. Have a sliding rent scale. <laughs> okay? If you're going to be that difficult to live with, it's $600 a month. If you're nicer at the end of the month, it's $400 a month. Let me know. So that, that is the biggest problem parents face with those kids getting out of those teen years now what do i do with them Mm. okay now you didn't bring this up i'll bring it up because i think this is what your listeners would want to hear 2022 24 26 they've left the faith Mm -hmm. they don't want to be in the faith anymore Mm -hmm. that's it i'm done and the parents are very guilt-ridden where did we go wrong you know, I tried to pray the rosary in Aramaic while I kneeled on broken glass. But, you know, my husband, my husband, John, he just he just let him sit on the couch, you know, spiritually sloppy, very, very sloppy. So they beat they beat themselves up. You know, where did we go wrong? OK, let's give this to your listeners right now. You guys, please just answer me yes or no to these questions. Would you do that? Mm-hmm. OK. Is there a God? Yes. yes. Is Christ God? Yes. Was he sinless? Yes. yes. Could he perform miracles? Yes. yes. Did he have a perfect understanding of human nature? Yes. yes. Could he get most people to follow him? No. 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 Oh, I get it, John. Mm. You think you're you're better at this than the God man. <laughs> I tell parents, our Lord himself couldn't get most people to follow him. Who do we think we are that there's some kind of spiritual formula that I blew it, mm-hmm. that I don't have a St. John Bosco or a Mother Teresa because I'm so such a slut? You know, you, you did your best. You, you know, my wife and I, my 10 children are grown. I got some going to serve the church, some probably go serve time. <laughs> they're, 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 they're different, you know, and my wife and I will never tie our peace the decisions our adult children make. We will pray for them, we will love them, but we won't tie our peace for their decisions. Mm-hmm. That's that's yeah. great advice, and thank you. You've like, been living in my house the last six months, so thank you. <laughs> well, I didn't want to say anything, Craig, but you were the before picture on the back page of the book. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you very much. Oh. I appreciate that. I don't know what the after picture looks like, but... Um... <laughs> it looks like Mari. <laughs> <laughs> I could really take this in the wrong way, but this is Catholic radio, and I'm going to leave that one alone. There I'm going to read the book. <laughs> there we go. Well, what's funny, what I'm cracking up about is, as Dr. Ray talks, you are so um, clear and eloquent in what you share that we're all taking notes, and we don't even have teenagers anymore. But the three of us are sitting here writing note after what note. What if I see one? <laughs> I'll know what to do with one, right? Yeah. Well, you may have immature 20-year-olds. That's true. We we could. Um, so one of the things you said a few minutes ago is you said um, 
you know, the mouth is not discipline. And so we oftentimes use our mouths wrong when we're parenting teens because of the frustration we feel, because of the lack of respect we feel, all the things that you talked about. We nag, we debate, we get louder. So what would be your recommend, recommendation to parents to use their mouths correctly in order to communicate more effectively with their teenagers, to have effective conversations with their teenagers? And the difference between conversations and discipline. Mm-hmm. You know, parents, loving parents talk about all kinds of things with their kids. Of course, you have discussions about everything, religion, relations, everything, grades, school, peers, everything. But when it is time to discipline, the child has done something wrong. They've mistreated a sibling. Mm-hmm. Okay, or they've just come home an hour and a half late from where they were supposed to be, or they weren't where they were supposed to be. At that point, you make your explanation, short and sweet, but then you decide, what am I going to do about this? And oftentimes, parents don't do something about it. It's easier just to yap about it or to warn about it. Mm. You know, a small example. They'll say to me, he totally misused his smartphone. Completely. He's, he's getting pictures from his girlfriend that are just, I can't believe this. How long should I take the phone? Oh, that's not the question. The question is, has he shown himself trustworthy enough to have a phone? Mm-hmm. That's the question. Yeah. So I tell parents, think about what you're going to do about this. That doesn't mean that it's going to change anything. You know, you guys all go to confession. You confess the same sins every time like I do. <laughs> well, how come you haven't learned? You're a lot older than a teenager. Mm. Why haven't you learned yet? And we expect the kid after being disciplined four times to never do it again. That's not realistic. Yeah. That's valid. <laughs> so there's a lot that we've we've touched on. And then a lot of them a lot a lot of conversation is problems and challenges. What is your hope for teenagers, Dr. Ray? A culture has never been changed by a majority. You can't get the majority to really go in one direction. It's been changed by a determined minority. So parents who want to raise the kinds of kids who are strong in their faith or seek God or responsible or mature are probably going to be in a minority. But if they do it, those kids will grow up to be leaders. And it's the leaders who take the positions to influence the culture. Thank you. Yeah, that is, uh, that's, uh, that's a great a word of hope right there. Um, speaking of words of hope, Dr. Ray, we have loved having you on our show. Listeners, please tune in. You can hear Dr. Ray weekdays here on The Quest at 1 p.m. Tune in, watch his show um, as well, Living Right with Dr. Ray. Go to Birmingham on Je- uh, January 17th. Um, and uh, Dr. Ray, would you close us out with a prayer? Sure. By the way, Mari, if anybody wants a signed copy, all they have to do is go to my website, drray.com. Bookstore's there. Signed copy. We'll get it to them. Drray.com. Perfect. Thank you. Standing strong, good discipline, makes great teens. Perfect. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Dear Lord, please show us who we are in your eyes. I miss it a lot. There's a lot of things I don't realize I'm doing that make me a weak disciple of yours. Please give me the strength to see what I need to do to be a better disciple so that people see you in me, whether they believe in you, whether they don't, that they see you talking through me, acting through me, believing through me, loving through me. I need the strength very much, dear Lord. Please give us that. In your name, 
Dr. Ray, thank you again for being with us here in the family room. And listeners, we thank you as well. Please join us again here next week in the family room where we offer hope, encouragement, truth, and wisdom for families. Thanks for hanging out with us in the family room. Sponsored by Versprite. For more info, go to thequestatlanta.com. 